The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. It's 2003. Don Brash becomes leader of the National Party. Brian Tamaki starts his cute little community cult destiny church. Sadly, we lose Possum Bourne and Mark Todd's Olympic horse charisma. Good Shirt Sophie is the single of the year at the New Zealand Music Awards and Scribe's Stand Up Not Many Double A Side is the biggest song of the year. Music videos were absolutely peaking, which is why MediaWorks blew up dusty old TV4 and replaced it with a youth music channel that had Juice TV shaking in its boots. Join us as we remember when C4 exploded onto our screens. Obsolete, isn't it? I mean, hello, it's 2006. Can we move away from the dark ages, please? Exactly. Kia ora koutou and welcome to Remember When. It's your weekly dose of pop culture nostalgia in Aotearoa, brought to you by The Real Pod. My name is Jane Yee, and I'm joined by the Clark Gayford to my Jackie Brown, Duncan Greve. Wow. I suppose I am, aren't I? You really are. Um, I suppose Clark Gayford is the, is the Clark Gayford to my Jackie Brown as well, though. Yeah, that's actually, true. There was a moment in time. Not that kind of moment in time, by the way. We'll get there. <laughs> really anyway. explaining too much there, Jane. <laughs> so C4 was a music TV channel. It was. Um, it, it came at a time when, God, as a nation, we really loved music. We really loved New Zealand music. We were still in the monoculture. Uh, so a lot of people were watching. And it was, um, it, was a, it was a channel that brought a lot of familiar faces to our screens who have gone on to do some pretty exciting things, and then some who have just disappeared into the ether. It's a, it sort of reminds me of a, a few years after this, like this was 2003, I think it was about 2005 when we had Close Up, Campbell Live and Homes on, on Prime. And there was a brief period of time when we had C4, Juice and New Zealand's version of MTV. Yeah. And it just, it really gets me this era for, for that kind of peak monoculture where you could have three competing, like, big budget, um, putting on events, part of the culture, music channels. And I think C4, despite probably, you know, being relatively short-lived compared to some of the others, during its span was the most prominent, had the most kind of culture wrapped around it. You could really sort of, it really interacted super well with the new, that, that kind of New Zealand music scene you were talking about. And you know, watching promos and sort of thinking about where it was, you're just like, that, that was that was a real moment. That and was a that, real moment. And where would that stuff happen now, you know? Yeah, and it was around the time as well that it was just like peak 
big day out and touring, lots of artists coming to the country. So there was lots of access to international artists. C4, I mean, I, I really meant it when I, when I said Joe's TV were shaking in their boots because up until then they'd had a, quite a monopoly on music television and, you know, everyone went there first for their video premieres and went there first for their interviews and then C4 really shook that shook that up. So Juice TV was run, it was, it was, was it run, owned run, and run by Sky? Or? Yeah, so that was on Sky, it was Daniel Wrightson. Uh, and then C4 was helmed by Andrew Shosterman, who now is the MD at South Pacific Pictures. And was the head of content at MediaWorks. He was head of content. So three before then. Yeah, and he also previously was program director at Channel Z. So Channel Z actually had a massive influence on C4. And sadly, both of them went the same way in that they kind of just like slowly <laughs> petered out. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair to them, like the if you were a youth-focused kind of cultural or music uh, channel or operation in that era, you, you were always going to struggle because that audience was naturally the first to move on to something new. That was the whole yeah. kind of point of them. So when the internet came along... Bloody internet. It basically exploded choice for them and just sort of slowly but inexorably undermined the the audience and therefore financial base for, for those channels. But, you know, I think the, the other thing that made C4 really pop was the fact that it replaced TV4, which was, it was a probably... I'm trying to figure out, was it bigger or about the same size as Prime? You know, as our sort of, they were our fourth, fifth t ranked TV channels, quite a bit before behind the big sort of one, two, three. But certainly, you know, that was its lead in, was as a, you know, a big mainstream channel. And then suddenly we get this freely accessible, because this is before uh, Freeview, like just the fact that yep. it was just there, it was number four on your remote. It just was like, it was kind of amazing. You get home from school, uh, from uni or whatever, and there's just endless music videos during a time when that was kind of the centre of music culture. And along with that, there was, um, uh, it came later on, but some TV programming. So you had like your South Parks and Futurama and that Jackass, kind of thing. Jackass. Bit of MTV <laughs> stuff yeah. that I bought. And uh, and you had these, it wasn't just endless music videos. You also had these shows that had like little skits in them and they were presented out of this uh, white studio um, that essentially was just the host in the room and then a, a technical director sitting off to the side. It was all extremely lo-fi. It's about as hi-fi as this podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, you know? pretty much. That's the, you're, what you're describing is where we are right now. Yeah, but it's interesting what you say about the internet and how that kind of just like blew everything up because <laughs> breaking news, the internet changed everything um, because... There's like almost no C4 content on the internet because it was basically pre, like, you know, the internet speeds being able to handle video. So it's just a lot of it's just gone, like hundreds, thousands of hours of, of um, television gone. It, it makes you kind of wonder what, like there must be sort of some almost like citizen archivist out there who's got a bunch of, of uh, gathering dust VHS tapes. Wayne Lewis? Wayne Lewis, are you, can, are you listening? Um, <laughs> because you think about, you know, it's a similar thing with uh, with Max TV, um, which was Auckland's, maybe it was the first music it was, channel, yeah. and um, and extraordinary, like the the amount of talent and the kind of creativity that was in that channel. I was in high school when when Max TV was on, and I just remember being absolutely shocked by what they were 
doing on television. Uh, it was Cry TV and Christchurch. So there's a, there was a whole kind of DIY mm. era that w was also prologue to this um, and, and helped inform the, the sort of chaos of it. So let's talk about some of the shows that were on there and some of the presenters. Um, so you had Jack and Clark were your the, the launch hosts. They were the main hosts. They did things like the Homegrown Show, which was a New Zealand music show. They also had a show, I think, called The A-List, I want to say. Like, they fit, they'd pop up at various stages across the week. And they were the only two full-time kind of employees as hosts. And the rest of the hosts came in and did their specialist shows. So you had Camilla Martin um, previously from BFM. She may have been doing BFM at the same time, actually. I think so. Um, and she did an alternative show. There was James Coleman from Channel Z at the time who was doing a retro show called Flashbacks. DJ Severe did The Holler Hour, which was hip-hop. Jono Pryor of Jono and Ben fame, uh, he started off doing Amped, which was a rock show, and then he also had this show called um, The Jono Show, The Jono Project, which which then became yeah, the Jono and Ben uh, Show ultimately. Well, because there was Pulp Sport, which was running in, in parallel, and yes. ultimately that's what, what uh, the, the combination of The Jono Project and Pulp Sport was yeah. what became Jono and Ben. Yeah. It was, it was an era where there was a lot, there was a kind of a porous boundary between DIY, almost access television, that's where Back of the Wire started, and kind of more, but there was like a nice pipeline to, you know, you make you make it through here, you can get a show on C4, if you, the C4 show goes well, you, you can get on mainstream television. That, that we, which you would assume to be quite fertile with, with sort of YouTube shows, it just doesn't feel particularly functioning the way now the way it was then. Yeah, like Pop Goes the Weasel. So that was a music quiz show that Jackie Brown hosted that was um, put together by some guys I went to university with who I would never have imagined the trajectory they've ended up on <laughs> when I think of them back then. Um, but they are the down low concept who are behind Seven Days and a bunch of other highly successful TV shows. So I feel like Seven Days basically took Pop Goes the Weasel, you know, like a lot of... I mean, of they would have learned a lot, They right? would have learned a just, heap. Just getting to kind of make a... You know, there, there are kind of things that would just happen in the process of making a show like that that you, you really need to learn. You do not want to learn them with the bright lights of a, of a primetime network no. show on. Di Henwood, had a show, he was on C4 for a while there. I feel like that was a big stepping block for him in terms of his TV career. Twila Blakely, obviously, after being on C4, went on to um, Shortland Street. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> um, there was a show called Steel Mill. I can't remember who. Uh, Greg, a guy named Greg maybe. It was like a middle league kind of show. Nick D., had the Sound Lab. He was X uh, Max TV. X Max TV, X M2, X all the music TV shows. Um, uh, Siobhan Rakiri had Meaty. You might not remember that. That was a, like a news break. She'd come in and do music. Meaty stood for something. I can't remember what it was, <laughs> but it was a it was an acronym. Uh, and Leila Dukia, who hosted the Top 40 like countdown chart. You don't remember any of this, do you? You didn't watch it. No, I did. I did watch it, but I, I was probably a bit aged out of the kind of uh, kind of glued to it type demo. At some point, Jackie Brown left C4. She left C4 to pursue a career as the uh, light entertainment reporter for Campbell Live, and then she also was working on the Jackie Brown Diaries, uh, and she needed replacing. Who, who? is around? Who, who sort of looks a bit like Jackie Brown, but isn't? Jackie Brown. That'd be me. 
It was. I was working at the time at Satellite Media where I had been doing Squeeze music TV, which music show, which was a New Zealand music show. But that had been shut down and I had just signed a contract to start doing like the music content on Vodafone Mobile. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I think you worked on that as well. I did. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> so, that was such a bleak job because you, you had like 25 characters, not words, but your word count was, was, <laughs> yes. was measured in characters and it was so short. It was way shorter than a text. But it paid all right because I took a pay cut to go to C4. I had um, Andrew Shusterman and Leanne Borrow, who was a producer at the time, um, like do a secret pickup, like they drove by my work, like I jumped in the back, they took me to Vulcan Lane where we wouldn't be seen and um, we had a secret meeting, they invited me to audition. I didn't realise that no one else was screen testing and so I screen tested with Clark and then five minutes after I left the building they rang up to say I had a job, which was very exciting. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started at this on the same day as Joel DeFries who hosted Select Live for a period. Speaking of people who have gone on for... He's gone on. Great, yeah, great I mean, I'm here at the Real Pod, and he went on to present Blue Peter. Blue Peter, which is an institutional. If you if you don't know, I mean, I grew up show. in the UK. The Blue Peter was the. I think it might have actually been the highest rating show in the country. Um, had like four million viewers, even relatively recently. And Joel was like this lovely guy. I think you know, you and I were both friends with him when he was in New Zealand, and and he went back to the UK, and you're still like, oh, you know, he'll. Probably get a job as a runner or something there, but within it felt like months he was hosting the biggest show on TV. And when you when you're the host of Blue Peter, you become a tabloid fixture because the show is just that big. So he just became this like enormous celebrity, and, and no uh, one here really under, like got that. Like it just never became a big thing. The problem is it's called Blue Peter, yeah, and you try and it just is almost impossible to imbue that with any <laughs> importance unless you're literally raised on it. So he was ex Channel Z too. He used to be. He used to call into Bomber's Drive Show as Geezer, <laughs> and that's sort of where he first made his mark as like an 18 year old. He's very young when he started on C4. Yeah. But We've, it's amazing to think that of a caller to a show being able to like like this is the era I we're know, talking about. I That's know. user generated content, baby. I mean, I'm so happy it was him and not Bomber who ended up on C4. <laughs> um, so Joel and I both started on the same day, which was Valentine's Day, February fourteenth, two thousand and five. And our first day on the job, we both were on air. Like it was madness. It's, it's just, very. It really is evocative of the sort of. This did have a big audience, but it had a tiny budget. I think the first year was like. Four or five million dollars, which you know, even adjusted for for inflation, given the scale of the audience, that yeah. is that's a tiny sum of money. Well, it's on air like a lot, you know. Well, yeah, and it had a big audience. Like it was targeting fifteen to twenty nine year olds, which feels very narrow now. But back then, if you could get a decent chunk of them, that was you had a business, you know. So my time there, um, I started co-hosting with Clark Gayford. Um, that was a time. I mean, I have so many stories. Can you tell some? Well, I, he threw the most amazing parties at his house. He used to, like, import lights, like LED lights, and he'd have, like, palm tree lights and flamingos and all this stuff in his backyard, and he would just have these amazing parties. He'd get, like, his DJ mates from Shapeshifter or whatever in, and um, and just a, a rollicking good time. He was a party boy. <laughs> Did you invite me to any of those parties or...? No. Did I what? Invite me to any of those places because I didn't go to any of those. You I'm weren't just... even watching the, the bloody channel. Well, yeah, but I would have if I could have gone to the I party. I probably brought you to a party, didn't no, I? No, I think you did. Uh, we travelled a lot. <laughs> just moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we travelled a lot. We did like lots of stuff at like 
Southern Amp, Rip-On Festival. There were a lot of festies at the time, Parachute, Big Day Out, all of those things. Met lots of um, amazing artists, lots of terrible artists. Also, Paul Potts. Remember Paul Potts? He won Britain's Got Talent. That's right. I mentioned him because it's one of the few clips from C4 that we could find on the internet. Can we listen to that now? Okay. Paul Potts, it's lovely to meet you. May I shake your hand? Nice to meet you, sir. You're here because you won a talent show called Britain's Got Talent, which it turns out it does. But it's it's really only like you entered in the first place. Is that right? I understand there was a flip of a coin. I mean, it's... I interviewed other people. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just such a, like... dream of a situation for someone in their sort of early mid-twenties to just bomb into this fresh channel where you can make it your own. You you, you have to create a shitload of live TV, yeah. has to go out every day, and you just got to figure it out. What a dream. But I also did some really, a lot of really embarrassing things. Like there was one promo that I'm very grateful. I actually ultimately net positive that there's not a lot of coverage of C4, or at least my era of C4 on the internet, because there was one where I had to dress up in a Kill Bill outfit and we did a whole kind of like... Kill Bill themed promo for our show special features. There was a lot of what we called literally in the run sheet for the show we called fruit and they were like little skits that went into the ad breaks of all sorts of just embarrassing things that we used to do. Was there a real kind of J- JP pranky kind of culture? Yeah, there was a massive pranky culture. We we would do things like, um, you know, get, the, get Andrew Schusterman like tell him that his car had been towed and all that kind of thing and then you just like shoot him like just like stomping up the stairs really pissed off <laughs> this is our boss and then just stick him on the telly like that and that's good stuff the best prank we ever did though it wasn't something it was even for the telly but we had this it was terrible a huge hr issue but we had um we always used to go into people's emails i heard about these yeah we'd go into people's Sorry. emails all the time when they left their computers open and we'd change um we'd auto-change things that they might say. So if they sign off their name and they just, like, cl- write Clark and then press enter and it would come up with something funny, you know. Um, but and this was a different era for this funny. Was, this was a different era. And I found out some stuff. Like, I stopped going into people's emails when I found out something that, like, I did not want to know. What kind of stuff? Just, blind, just as a blind item. It was a completely blind item, a, 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 an extra marital situation. Ooh. Yeah. Um, anyway. And you didn't want to know that. No, because it put me in a position of knowing this yeah, about people. True. I don't want to know that. I wanted to. I was happy to suspect it. <laughs> I don't want to know it. Um, but one of the funniest things we ever did was went into again Andrew Schusterman, our bosses. This is the program director for the station. We went into his email. We selected everyone called Andrew in his mailing list, which included someone who was like massive at TVNZ, possibly even one of the heads of TVNZ, and suggested to this group that they start a club Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to just bring back the nickname Andy. And obviously, like, terrible. No one replied for, like, a week, and then someone replied was, like, great idea. (laughs) But he was so pissed with us. Oh, you'd be so mad. We were, like, naughty little kids. If a bunch of people reply to that immediately... Then it kind of works, and it's sort of. But but the but a week of them just thinking, what the hell is wrong with Shastamay? And for him to realise that there's been a whole week of people where he's not been able to explain, a whole week of people who are thinking that oh, he's like, this is a great idea. Yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> so bad, um, but yeah, it was it was the best job ever. I got to do 
so many fun things. Got to like race minis and uh, oh, the one thing that just jumped into my head that was not great was meeting um, the hedgehog. What's his name again? Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Clarkson. No, <laughs> the porn guy. Oh, Ron, Ron Jeremy. Jeremy. He's revolting. Um, yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of things that we had to do that we probably like – I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do now. <laughs> I wouldn't do again. Um, but it was a time. And there's the tats. Do you remember that song, Kay? That became the theme, the theme song. Uh, the promos were always love. I've got a good little, little crimbo promo here that we can show you. Four Elvises, three silly hats, two turntables, and David from L-O-M-N-O-P. Merry Christmas, everyone. But that kind of speaks to the culture of it, right? Like they were, it was born on a budget, but they were trying to make something of this local kind of music, media, young youth scene that there just isn't really a a parallel vehicle for in this era. And, you know, I've been talking to some people in and around the music industry now and they know that were you to launch a, a C4 now, that it wouldn't work, like the audience is gone and that there isn't an easy way to replicate it. But they still feel the absence, that that sort of that sort of space where kind of where, where the culture could be knitted together and, and mediated and you could have some fun with it and get a sense of who are the people behind that single mm, and so yeah. on. And nominally I suppose it's it's happening on like TikTok or, or YouTube, but it it just doesn't feel like it's got everyone's eyes on it the way that C4 did at the time. Yeah, and it was never more obvious than when we went to like um, the X Games or Big Day Art and you'd just have, you know, you'd have your tent and your stool there next to the edge and whatever and just so many people would come up and they'd buy hats and have bumper stickers and like you'd see C4 bumper stickers on cars. And that was a that was a thing, you know, an yeah. era where you like supported the media that you listened to. I mean, but like radio station bumper stickers were everywhere for a time, so, you know, and they covered it. Like you, if you had a BFM sticker, that yeah. was that's a big deal. Uh, after I left, oh, after Clark left C four, I started co-hosting with a guy called Phil Boswick, who I ran into at a sushi place last week for the first time in many, 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 many years. Uh, he's working in like uh, building now, and then. Um, after I left Helena McAlpine, who has sadly since passed, um, she was the you know the lead host there alongside Phil. Some of those people, though, you know, like gone on to some some big old things, and some of them are doing podcasts talking Real, about really their good podcasts. Heyday <laughs> <laughs> of doing things once upon a time. Oh. Still amazing era, incredible era. I remember it fondly. Hit me up in the DMs if you want to know more. <laughs> I had so much fun just researching this because, you know, it took me back to a time and I realised, oh, I didn't even know it, but these were like some of the best years of my life and I I wasn't even clocking it at the time, you know. That's, that's, it. How, that's how it tends to go, Jane. Hey, thank you so much, Duncan. Uh, it's been fun remembering when with you, Jane. Remembering, remembering. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you guys for remembering with us. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.